Well, is anybody ready to go into God's Word? Come on. I love 8 o'clock. You know why? Because you guys, you guys are serious world changers. Serious world changers come to 8 a.m. Successful people get up early. Some of you are like, somebody woke me up and made me come here, okay? Some of you are like, no, I just had a baby, okay? Yes, I successfully gave birth to a human, and so now I'm awake, okay? So that's why I'm here, you know, because I'm taking a nap later, you know? Uh, you know, uh, the, the thing about... Uh, that, that you need to know is that God has created you for victory. God has created you to overcome. God has hardwired you to, uh, to overcome when tough circumstances arrive. How many of you have ever faced some tough circumstances? Uh, how many of you are facing them right now? And you say, all right, God, I need, I need, I need, some, I need some help in this area. I need to understand your perspective. Well, that's why we've been in this series called Pathways of Victory. God has designed these beautiful places of grace where God's grace is poured out on us. And, and they require a response, but all you do is you position yourself in these pathways of victory and suddenly you begin to step into the victory that God has for every believer. Uh, for, for weeks now, we've been quoting Psalm 1, and I want, I want uh, to read it to you again, because Psalm 1 describes what a victorious person looks like. You ought, to, you ought to have this down deep in your spirit. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. By the way, I could break down verse 1, but uh, let me just summarize it. Stay away from sin. Stay away from sin. In, in case you're wondering, when you became a Christian, you declared a lifelong fast of sin. Oh, that's a different sermon. All right, I don't know who that was for here this morning. Verse 2, but listen to these. Listen to these pathways of victory. There are two pathways many mentioned here. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates, that's the pathway, of, of uh, meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The road, the pathway of victory is meditation. When we meditate on God's word. But we had almost completely forgotten about meditation. Why? Because there was... A, there was a, 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 a falsehood that got connected to meditation. And today, we're actually going to talk about a, a, another area that, you know, in history, the church veered a little bit on the one that we're going to talk about today. Um, but just because there was something introduced that was not true doesn't mean that we shouldn't lay hold of the biblical truths. Why? Because in the truths of God's word, there is liberty. That's what Jesus said. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you or set you free. So when you begin to know the truth and you say, okay, God, I'm going to begin to position myself on those places of grace, those places where God's grace changes us. I don't know if you guys have had any trouble changing lately, 
But if you're like most of the other human beings, we don't change so easily. We, we are not people who just, who just wake up and say, well, I guess I'm going to change today. No, probably you're going to walk in a similar pattern. You're going to talk a similar way. I'm going to tell you the theater of change is, is one that belongs to God. It is God who loves to take the human heart, place his spirit on them, and bring us into change. Listen, by grace, by his undeserved favor. That is how we're changed. Not by willpower. You'll never win with willpower, but you will always win through his power. Well, let me, let me talk to you today about this beautiful place of grace. And today's pathway is called confession. Confession. Confession is one of those things that if you come from a little bit uh, different religious tradition, it may, it may steep some thoughts in your mind. You know, uh, you know driving down the road... Uh, there's this, there's this church in Ocala, a Catholic church, and sometimes their sign makes no sense. That's most of the time. It makes no sense. You have no idea what they mean by what they posted. But I happened to notice one day that the sign said this, Confession, 2.30 to 3.30. <laughs> That's it. You show up late. No confession for you. And, uh, and, and I understand that in that religious tradition, what they are saying is a priest will be available in the confessional booth for that hour. And because of, of tradition and because of some things, a whole group of people who place faith in Christ, they, they have a little bit of a skewed view on what confession really is. But because of, 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 of actually, and, and because there was a skewed view, many people in our camp, the, the Protestant camp, the protesters, the protesters said, uh-uh, we're, do, we're throwing away those ideas and we're only going to grab hold of one little small lane connected to confession. Well, I want to tell you, there is an abundance of God's grace found in this place called confession. And today, I want to I just share with you really from my heart about about. How important this place of grace is. This place where the river of God's presence will meet you and change you. You know, one of the, the, the cornerstone scriptures of anyone who has an encounter with God. It's very simply Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you're wanting to come into relationship with God through Jesus, you should really know this verse. And it says this, that if you confess... With your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I don't know if you noticed this, but in these verses, confession is really important. 
Uh, sometimes, you know, we, we, we say in our religious traditions, you know, that, that, that we could just be a silent believer. But yet, in the genesis of our encounter with God, there, there is something connected to us saying what God is doing on the inside. That we confess what we believe. That we say what we believe. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9 it says this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We need this verse in culture today. We need to be a people that can... That, that can look ourselves in the mirror and say there are some things that are out of line with God's heart. There are some things that, that, that actually, um, you know, when, when, you're, when you're living in sin, what you, are, you are denying your design. When you live in this world apart from God... You are actually denying your design. Why? Because from the very beginning, we were made to be in intimate fellowship with God. We're designed for it. That uninterrupted communion that happened in the garden. But what came and interrupted that fellowship? It was sin. And God says, listen, uh, I want to set you up for something that is going to to continuously lead you in this liberty of getting set free from sin. He says, if you, if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. We do. We each one have struggles here. Everyone, including the guy on the stage standing before you, trying to say what God is saying to you. We all have things that we're dealing with us. But look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, is that reason to celebrate? But it, 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 it then merits us to take a little deeper look at, okay, God help me to understand confession. This isn't about works because no one's saved through works. This is us responding to who God is. You see, the word confession, and really confession, is the vessel that carries fallen humanity into forgiveness and transformation in Christ. Now, the word con- confess, it's, uh, in, in Greek, it's the word homologeo. Here's what it means. It means to say the same thing. It means to speak the same thing in full agreement. And when we come into full agreement with who Jesus is and what he has done and see our need for his forgiveness and we confess it, it leads to salvation. That is what it is. When I am confessing, I'm not just saying, you know, okay, sorry, God. No, no, no. Lord, I am saying what you are saying about the things that you want to remove from my life. And God, I'm in full agreement that they don't belong here that I am betraying who you have created me to be. So, Lord, in this moment, I confess that to you. Some of us need this reminder today. Salvation is not only an event, but a process. 
I hope I can teach some people something today. Some of you are like, oh, no, no, no. I was saved on January 23rd, 1972. I understand that. But did you know that your Bible says that you are being saved? You were saved. There was an event. It's not only event, but there is a working out of the salvation that God has wrought in your life, which will happen day after day after day. That is why Paul instructed Philippians 2. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice it does not say work out someone else's salvation. For all of you who think you have the, the, the spiritual gift of fruit inspector, you do not. Stop it. You are going to live a frustrated life trying to change people. You think, if I just say the right thing or do the right thing, oh, then they'll get saved. No, no, no. If they get a revelation of who Jesus is and his goodness and his power and his grace, then they will be saved. Why don't you work out your own salvation and mind your business? Mind your business. And if you're concerned about somebody, let it bend, bend your knees in the secret place. Let it, let it move you to a place where it says, you say, oh God, I see Satan trying to rob them and sift them. Lord, intervene. Lord, Lord, do something great in their life. But oh God, don't leave me out. Do something great in my life. Now, the discipline of confession, this pathway of confession, it helps every believer to grow and to become more like Christ. And make no mistake, we are right in our Protestant traditions. We don't need a priest to be forgiven. We, we don't need a pastor in order to receive salvation. Why? Because my Bible says, for there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I'm here to tell you, listen, that is why, why you need to know the importance of the gift of the church to edify you, to build you up. But listen, you don't need a pastor to get born again. You need to go to the only mediator, the only go-between man and God, and his name is Jesus. And if you will confess your sins to him, I promise you, those sins will be washed. Those sins will be cleansed, and you'll be made brand new. Now, Here's the part that begins, I, I want to begin to step a little bit into the realm that we are uncomfortable with. Because I believe that as a church we're learning to grow and we're learning to become a culture where people can come through the door knowing little of Christ. And yet when they meet us they begin to know him a little more because as an extension we're the body of Christ. 
All of what I have described to you, much, much of it just sounds private. But I want to tell you, we need to ask this question. How does confession involve others? Why did the church decide they were going to make a box and put a man in it? And then you would go into that little box and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's been so many days since my last confession. Why did they create that? Was it for religious control or manipulation of people? Was it for those things? Or was it based upon truth? And then they veered from the truth and it lost its power. I want you to see today that confession is not only personal, but it does involve others. Notice this, James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses to one another. Uh-oh. If you're watching online, I love you, but that can't be your only medium of interaction. You can't just stay huddled up in your home. You need to find some one another's to walk with, to run with. You need to find some other brothers and sisters who won't judge you in the space you find yourself in, but will call you higher. It says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice the involvement of other believers in the process. Man, I'm here to tell you today, there's a healing available, but uh-oh, the only problem is you're going to have to take off the mask. I heard about a makeup convention that was happening in, happening in Florida, and they said they wanted to do this outdoor event when they were all outside at this makeup convention. Uh, it started to rain, and the women just began to run feverishly. And great fear went everywhere because the women thought, oh no, my face is going back to factory settings. <laughs> Here's what I think. In moments like this where God's presence come in and you start to hear God's truth and the rain of his presence starts to fall in a place and you're holding up a mask, that mask starts to tremble and you go, oh no, someone you mean is about to see me who I really am and what do we tend to do as human beings? We run from that kind of intimacy. We run from it. By the way, this in no way negates or diminishes the value or effectiveness of private confession to God. There's a wonderful truth that the individual can break into new life through the cross without the aid of a human mediator. 
That was the theme of the Reformation. It rooted out corruption and control and manipulation that plagued the church at this time. But we should remember that Martin Luther himself, the one who penned that 95 thesis, this is what he said, Therefore, when I admonish you to confession, I am admonishing you to be a Christian. He said Christianity is wrapped up in relationship and and you can't just throw away confession that involves other believers because there was manipulation before or control before. You see, sometimes people struggle with a continual sin after personal confession. Have you ever been there? I have. I've con- I confess something personal, but the struggle remains. What if it's been our unwillingness to embrace confession with another brother or sister, by the way, not broadcasting it, by the way, confession is not a Facebook pl- post, it's not a Twitter rant, okay? That is not confession. It's annoying. It's not, that's not confession. Confession is finding somebody who looks on you and says you are created in the image of God. And what God, uh, what God wants to do is far greater than what you're experiencing. You can tell me anything and you will not lose value in my sight. Why? Because our value is not determined by our performance. Our value has been determined by the gift that was given to us by God of his only son. And when we see his indescribable gift for us and the price he paid to have a relationship with us, then suddenly it frees us to speak with other people and say, you know what? I'm not losing my value. I'm actually entering into a healing here. But why is this so difficult? Why is it difficult for, for people to enter into confession in the Christ-filled eyes of another believer? Why is it difficult? Well, sometimes it's because we view the church first as sanctified saints rather than a fellowship of the forgiven. Come on, we all need a proper view of ourselves. If you've been walking with God so long that you start looking down your nose at other people in whatever condition they find themselves in, you have forgotten the grace of God that rescued you out of your mud and your mire. And you need to once again go back to the cross and find that place of mercy. Find that place of grace. Listen, it's not that we don't address sin. We certainly address sin. Jesus addressed sin. We call people to a higher standard. This is the highest standard. There is no no man who would have ever written the perfect standard that is that is described in this book. And we call people to this lifestyle. But the way you enter into it is by grace through faith in Jesus' name. It's difficult. Because sometimes people feel alone in these moments. 
And you need to know today you're not alone in the sin that clings to us like barnacles, it clings to others as well. And when we acknowledge our humanity, we need, we then need to release the power that heals. And then what happens? People are transformed. You say, how, how do we do that? Let me give you just two things about entering into this transformative confession. This transformative moment where it, it some where sometimes it involves another, another person. First. Your confession has got to be authentic. You're not going into a box, going through some rote religious experience. Our confession needs to be authentic. And real confession has three elements. First, it's self-examination. We invite God to show us the areas we need his forgiving and healing touch and be specific. Listen, don't be a part of culture that says whatever you feel on the inside is right. It is not right. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us there is a way that seems right unto man. It seems right. It feels right. My flesh is leading me here. But there is a way that seems right unto man. But its end is what? It is death. It's, it's separation from God. It'll be spiritual death. Listen, we are called as a people to go into moments of, of self and examination examination and say God if this thing doesn't honor you I want it out it starts with self-examination and confession also includes sorrow it includes sorrow this is a deep regret from having offended the heart of the father You see, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says it this way, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow leads us to the joy of forgiveness. So we say, oh God, this this so denies my design. This sin in my life, it totally denies the way I have been created to be in fellowship with you. The way I have been created to make a difference for the kingdom. The way I am to serve others and to love others. This issue that I am dealing with, God, I am so sorrowful for it. Here's the good news. If you have a sin issue and you're not sorry for it, here's what I would ask for. God, I want sorrow over the things that don't honor me because godly sorrow leads me to the place where I begin to think like God thinks and it leads me into the joy of knowing God's forgiveness so it starts with self-examination and sorrow but then it it also it's followed by this determination to avoid sin you see the reason why uh we, we're not going back to the box where there's, there's a priest in a box and, and, and someone who is just going through this rote uh, recitation of what they have been involved in is because of this, this last truth is that they weren't determined to avoid sin. They were just determined to go through a religious act. 
And see, you and I as believers, there has to be some determination within us that says, no, God, I am determining today that I am going to avoid sin. It doesn't mean that, that we won't uh, 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 fall into it and be caught in it from time to time, but there must be, let me say it to you this way, there needs to be a hatred for unholy living. I remember one, one, one week years ago, all these kids showed up, and I, I, I spoke, I, I gave a title to a sermon that I spoke, which for them was so anti-church, and it was this. The title of the sermon was, How's Your Hate Walk? They were like, what have I walked into? But it was just the hook, because it was based on this scripture from Romans 12, 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. That means I hate the evil. I hate sin. I've got to ask you, church, do you hate sin? How's your hate walk going? We're, we've been working on our love walk. We're called to love God with everything in us. We're called to then love people because if you love God, you'll love what he loves. Oh, but if you love God, you'll hate what he hates. And there has to be this determination in us to say, no, I abhor evil. I abhor sin. And really, that is the, one of those essential elements of confession. It needs to be authentic. There's something in you that says, listen, God, I know you don't hate me, but I hate what I see manifesting in my life. And so, Lord, I'm determined to confess this. I'm giving this to you. And at times I go to another brother and sister and I say, this thing is going on in me. I'm sorrowful for it. Would you please pray for me? Which leads me to this second truth about confession that all of us need to understand, which is almost never talked about in church. This one, this one is hard to handle. You gotta, it's only handled in humility. Here's this, this second truth about confession as it involves someone else. Believers have been given the authority to forgive. What? Believers have been given the authority to forgive. Can I teach you some Bible this morning? John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, by the way, this is one of those verses that people who spend their lives studying wrestle over. Because they're like, okay, what are the lengths of that forgiveness? I don't know. Jesus doesn't give them here. And to wrestle over those lengths and the breadths of of the authority to forgive and how far it goes. 
uh, I, I believe is a senseless battle. Here's what you need to know, that God wants to so anoint you that someone could come to you caught in sin and you could look, at, look them in the eyes with the compassion of Christ and say with, 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 in true sincerity, if they are confessing their sin and saying, I want to be made, made right with God, you can with all confidence look at them and say, you are forgiven and a spiritual transaction will take place. God is saying, I'm so in control of your heart. I'm so in control of you. And this is why, listen, this is why you can't make judgments on cities. On cities. You say, what are you talking about? What if you are retaining the sins of regions instead of asking God's mercy? I'll give you the easy one, the low-hanging fruit of San Francisco. Where there is much, much homosexuality and, and, and much of the ideas that are trying to weave their ways into our culture that are anti-biblical, by the way. They are not biblical. What if we're like, oh, I would never. And we, in our hearts, are retaining a judgment against a place when all along God is saying, why won't you cry out mercy over that place? Why don't you cry out for revival over that place? And say, oh God, don't let me be it, that, the one that stands in the way of you doing something supernatural. It works the same way in relationships. You have that abuser, you have that one that treated you wrong, the one that betrayed you, and you're like, I will never forgive them, and, and you, you see them and their life is falling apart, why don't you release them and suddenly God's hand and God's love and God's spirit could go and do a work in their life and, and draw them into the place where they too go before the one mediator and find forgiveness. I think many times we underestimate our role and God says, listen, if you will forgive, I'll forgive. By the way, you're not Jesus. We, we don't hold the keys to heaven. But as an extension of Jesus as the body of Christ, when we, on one side, when someone confesses they're saying the same thing as God, when you proclaim forgiveness, you are what? Saying the same thing as God. It's powerful. We're not God, but we're the body of Christ. Let me just finish with just these, these ideas. I want a healthy culture of confession, by the way. I don't want you just going all willy-nilly. Some of you are like, oh, man, I feel it. What in the world is he going to ask us to do? Uh, uh, I, I, I'm going to say, hold on. Grab the reins real quick, okay? We're not going to create a culture of chaos. We're not going to say, hey, by the way, you need to confess what you're dealing with to somebody who is not mature enough to handle it. So how do we build a healthy culture here at Calvary of confession? One that points people to personal transformation, but one that also releases the healing that happens when confession happens between other brothers and sisters. Here's how we do it. We're staying cross-centered. We're staying cross-centered. Romans 3.23 says, All of 
sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The cross is the great equalizer. All of us have sinned. Listen, searching sinners and seasoned saints need to worship together with humility around God's expressed love through the sacrifice of Christ. When we keep our community cross-centered, it then becomes the equalizer where others feel safe to finally pull down the mask and say, this has been my struggle. We also want a culture where we're committed to personal growth. Where we say, no, 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 I got saved and now I can just live whatever way. That's not a biblical way of thinking. Because 2 Peter 1.5 says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You see, when we are committed to God's process in our own lives, we will possess compassion for others in their journey. That's why we're all committed to growing. We are all saying no one has arrived. We're committed to personal growth in our relationship with God. We're going to have a healthy culture of, of confession. It will also involve concern. Concern for other people's condition. How's that expressed? How about this one? L listen more, speak less. Listen more, speak less. By the way, when you are listening, you are not simply waiting to tell the person how they're wrong. You're not just formulating a response. You're listening. Saying, even if the idea is wrong, God, help me to hear the pain. Help me to hear the struggle. And perhaps, sometimes, the best thing to do is to say, I don't know, but let's pray to the God who does and invite him in. You see, James 1, 19 says, So then, beloved, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And lastly, after we say we're going to stay cross-centered, we're going to commit to personal growth and be concerned for others' condition, we're going to be compelled to pray. Listen. Counseling has its place. But in, in the theater of biblical transformation, there is nothing more powerful than one who cares about somebody else, who knows the power of God's grace in their own life, prays for another person. I'll, I'll quote it again. Powerful scripture, James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land three years and six months. He prayed again 
and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You see, sometimes we need to pray after a person has said, I'm struggling with somebody, something, and then believe your life is about to produce the fruit it was meant to produce. Your life is about to make a difference for the kingdom of God. God is calling into being a church that can openly confess its frail humanity and one who also knows the forgiving and empowering graces of Christ. Honesty, that leads to confession. But biblical confession is what leads to change.